Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Watchdogs Bark. My name is Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. <laughs> this is episode 43. Holy cow, I honestly didn't know if I was going to go this many. Now I'm actually really loving this. This is a lot of fun, and I really appreciate that the uh, listenership is growing every week. I really appreciate that. I have listeners all over the world. Very excited about that. And uh, I've even received some messages from some people that have been listening. So thank you for that. Um, I love the interaction. Uh, I, I'm getting nothing but positive responses. So keep those letters coming. If you don't know where to send those letters, it's Drew at thewatchdogsbark.com. All right, in this episode, we are going to talk about how the walls are closing in on Joe Biden. I have here in my hand, <laughs> that's what Rush Limbaugh used to do. He used to snap the papers to let you know. I have here in my, he used to say nicotine stained fingers. Uh, I have the unredacted FD 1023 that really basically gives testimony of the CEO of Burisma and how he paid money to Joe and to Hunter for Joe's assistance in getting rid of the prosecutor that was investigating Burisma Holdings. Yes, true. He actually admitted that. Now, of course, this is just a testimony. It's not proof, but I think the proof is starting to mount. And I think these two IRS um, agents, whistleblowers, I guess we call them, that came before the House Investigative and Judicial Committees and testified, they're pretty dang credible. Uh, one of them is uh, Gary Sheffield, who runs one of the most successful departments and has been able to recover over $3.6 billion in lost taxes. The other one is Joseph Ziegler, and Gary Sheffield calls him one of the best investigators in the country. So, of course, Democrats essentially ran into a buzzsaw trying to discredit them in their hearings. I'll let you listen to some of that later on. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about the Jason Aldean song. Try that in a small town. I love the new song, by the way, and all of the fervor going on about that. RFK Jr. testifies in a U.S. committee hearing on censorship. And ironically, Democrats try to censor him in a committee hearing meeting on censorship. You can't make this stuff up. All right. And then what is happening to our military? Honestly, what is going on with our military? I'm going to talk about that in more detail, along with a couple of other things like uh, why are Democrats against school choice? Uh, and Misha Menard um, left the Democratic Party and she's being ruthlessly attacked. And then I'll have to end with a funny little thing. Dana Carvey and um, David Spade have a podcast, and Dana Carvey did a brilliant impersonation of Anthony Fauci that I think you guys will get a kick out of. And then some other things, too, I might comment on. But uh, stick around, because we got a fun show this week. Alrighty then, before we get to any of the stuff I was going to talk about today, I just want to talk about last podcast. I've gotten a lot of great comments and a lot of people saying they're going to see the movie Sound of Freedom. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it. It just surpassed $100 million domestically. 
And it only costs like 14 and a half million to make. And like I said, the producer and director of this movie tried to shop it to all of the big um, studios, turn them down. Paramount, Universal, MGM, all the big ones have turned them down. Even Disney turned it down. And I think we know why. I think there's uh, a lot of people in Hollywood that would not want people to know about this happening worldwide. And by this, I mean child sex trafficking. Like I said in my last podcast, it has grown 5,000% in the last five years. That is completely unacceptable. So, Go see Sound of Freedom. Wait till the very end of the credits. Click your phone on the QR code and send some tickets forward. Pay it forward. For people that cannot afford tickets or that, uh, you know, don't want to go see the show, but if they get free tickets, they'll go. Great. Go get free tickets and go see the show. Every single person needs to see this show. It will break your heart. It will make your blood boil. It will upset your stomach. But Everyone needs to see it. Everyone needs to know what's going on. Child sex trafficking is a worldwide problem. Over 2 million children are being sex trafficked around the world. And sadly, as I said in my last podcast, it is, it is horrific to think about this, but the number one country that are consumers of child sex traffickers is the United States of America. Unbelievable. All right. Okay. Let's get on to the stuff for this week. Um, we've been trying to determine for a very long time what exactly is the Biden family business. And as I said before, it's now the Biden, fa- uh, what is it? Biden crime family. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, basically, we could say that the Biden family business is a problem solving business and giving access to Joe. Now we actually have proof through this unclassified 1023. The CEO of Burisma Holdings, his name is Mikola Zlochevsky, and he writes, or basically he was telling the person interviewing him and the person that that wrote all the information for this unclassified 1023, basically they were talking about how it would be problematic to raise capital in the U.S. given Shokin's investigation into Burisma. You remember, Shokin was the prosecutor that Joe Biden got fired by threatening to withhold $1 billion of U.S. aid to Ukraine unless they fired the prosecutor. And you remember, Joe Biden, like, I'm leaving here in six hours, and if the prosecutor's not fired, and you know, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bee, <laughs> they fired him. So he, he loves to brag about things he pulls off. And like I said, I think that's going to be the undoing of Joe Biden, especially now that we have kind of a combination of Joe Biden unhinged and dementia Joe Biden kind of happening. He's saying things that he's not supposed to say out loud and doing things in public that are very strange. So, by the way, the re- what I'm talking about, when he was in Iceland, he went up and, and, and did the num, 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 num on the back of a strange child. Mother's holding the child in her arms, uh, a little girl, probably two or three, if that. Yeah, probably about two or three. And, and Joe Biden just goes up to the back of the neck of this child he doesn't even know and goes, hum, num, 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 
And the, the girl is like freaking out and the mother's kind of like turning away. And Joe Biden just goes, does it again. You're like, oh my gosh, Joe, if that was your child or grandchild, maybe that would be appropriate in public, but not a stranger's in a strange land. And by the way, it's still sad to me that Joe and Jill do not recognize their seventh grandchild. Yes, they do have a seventh grandchild. Hunter Biden had a child with a stripper in Alabama. And this girl is four years old now, and the Bidens have disavowed her. So Joe talks about his six grandchildren. You always remember he's missing one. Joe and, and Jill Biden actually have seven grandchildren. Okay, so getting back to the, the 1023. Sorry, I went off on a little tangent there. Uh, basically, they were talking about how probably the best course of action would be to go ahead and pay the $50,000 to hire an attorney to uh, litigate this in court and, you know, get this, this prosecutor off. And Zlochevsky laughed at the number 50000 not because of the amount, but because it had a five in it. And he says, oh, ironically, uh, it cost me $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to another Biden. And Zlochevsky responded um, later on when he was talking about, are you sure everything's okay? He says, don't worry. Uh, uh, something to the effect of, don't worry, this thing will go away. And Zlochevsky had already paid the Bidens $5 million each. And then that, right after that, was when Joe Biden threatened to withhold that billion dollars of aid if Ukraine didn't fire the prosecutor investigating Burisma, the company which his son sat on the board of directors. And later on, this uh, Zlochevsky stated he didn't want to pay the Bidens, but he was actually pushed to pay them. Remember I talked about the Biden crime family and we read that uh, the transcript of the WhatsApp of Hunter Biden pressuring a Chinese official that they need to pay him uh, and that they were going to lose patience and his dad was sitting right next to him. Yeah, well, uh, that's uh, OK. That's what's that's what the Bidens do. Uh, it looks like Hunter Biden is the bag man that goes around and threatens everyone and uh, everybody else just kind of collects the money and Joe sits on top of it all, tries to stay out of everything, but uh, we have proof that he hasn't been staying out of things. But let me go on and explain that um, in Russia, <laughs> the funny thing is that in, in, in Ukraine and Russia, they don't think this is a really big thing. It, it's extremely common for businesses in Russia and Ukraine to make these kind of payments, they're bribe payments. They're called podmazat or podmazat. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't speak Russian. Uh, maybe I should learn Russian. I, I have a, an unlimited lifetime membership to Babel. Maybe I'll start learning Russian. Anyway, um, pod, podmazat means to oil or lubricate or makes things run smoothly. In other words, to bribe political officials so they will pass legislation that benefits your company. There's a little bit of podmazat going on in our country, sadly. And also, there's really interesting um, conversation that goes on with Lochevsky, where he talks about how he also has many text messages and recordings saved, showing how he was coerced to make these payments. And he, he even says that 
you know, one of the things we have to do is keep Hunter Biden on the board of directors, even though Hunter Biden is really, really dumb. They say that uh, quite a few times, actually, in this, uh, this 1023. They said uh, Zlochevsky even says that Hunter Biden is stupid and his dog is even smarter, but they need to leave him on the board of directors of Burisma so everything will be okay. I wonder what they mean by that. Gosh, you don't have to think very much because Joe Biden admitted publicly that he threatened the Ukrainian government to fire a prosecutor looking into Burisma Holdings and their corruption that his son was on the board of directors of. If they didn't fire that prosecutor, they wouldn't get the $1 billion in U.S. aid. That is called quid pro quo. That's also called bribery. That's also racketeering. There's, there's, you know, Hunter Biden, I guess right now the committee is going to present nine or 10 criminal recommendations for Hunter Biden, including bribery, racketeering, wire fraud, uh, all kinds of things. But, you know, it's good to be a Biden because nothing is going to happen. I hope it does. And I, 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 I mean, the chances are very, very slim because I don't think the Senate will convict. The House will recommend these charges and then the DOJ will either choose to enforce them or not. And since the DOJ is in Joe Biden's pocket, I think the chance of them enforcing and pressing these charges and going after Hunter and making him serve real time rather than just a slap on the wrist and probation is very, very slim. It's good to be a Biden, huh? Now, these two whistleblowers recently that testified, Gary Sheffield and Joseph Ziegler, that is really interesting because they were very, very clear in everything they were talking about and very, very credible. Up until recently, Joseph Ziegler was just uh, witness X because he didn't want to be personally revealed. Well, now he has revealed himself. And guess what? He's a gay Democrat. So what agenda would he have to come forward as a whistleblower against Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, unless it were to reveal the truth and reveal his dissatisfaction with the two systems of justice, the two-tiered system of justice. It's really, really crazy. I watched the entire six-hour hearing, and like I said, they were both very, very credible. And of course, the media is attacking them and saying that they, you know, have ulterior motives and uh, can't be trusted. And and but you'll you'll notice that they didn't immediately go to racist or homophobic or xenophobic because Joseph Ziegler said, you know, I'm a member of the Democratic Party and I am a gay man. I'm married to a man. And, you know, there is no reason for me to come forward. I have no motive for doing this other than to bring the truth forward. So I commend these these two whistleblowers. I hope that more come forward. I really do think the walls are closing in on the Bidens. It, I don't know how long it's going to be. It's, it won't be while Joe's in office because a president can't be arrested, basically. Uh, they can be impeached and then removed from office and then arrested, but it, I don't, there's no way that, that an impeachment would get through the Senate right now. 
However, if this investigation goes on and a Republican or Donald Trump, let's say, wins the election in 2024, and then the Republicans take control of the Senate and a larger control of the House, then I think there's a good chance that uh, the Bidens will be prosecuted. So we'll see what happens. Also, get ready because it looks like Devin Archer, the business partner of Hunter Biden, is willing to testify in front of Congress, and it could happen as early as next week. He is going to testify that more than two dozen times Hunter put his father on a three-way call on speakerphone while he was doing business dealings with Devin Archer and while they were, while they were working with Burisma and while they were working on their own deals around the world. So you remember Joe Biden saying he's never spoken with his son about his business dealings. In fact, listen for yourself. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business yes, dealings? Yes, I stand by that statement. Well, we know that's not true anymore. <laughs> And next week, hopefully, when Devin Archer testifies, we'll know absolutely for sure. So he'll give eyewitness testimony. And I, I believe at one time, I, I thought I did some research, and they, at one time they had Devin Archer on the visitor's log at the White House when Joe Biden was vice president. So, yeah, this is uh, all going to start unraveling, we're hoping, and the house of cards will tumble. Alrighty then, the new Jason Aldean song. Now, all the controversy is over where part of the music video was filmed. It was filmed in front of a courthouse in Tennessee that I guess back in 1927, some uh, uh, an African-American male was lynched in front of it. But the funny thing is, that courthouse has been used in many videos. It's a very popular site. For filming, a Christmas movie was uh, uh, there. Um, I think even a Hannah Montana episode was filmed there. So basically, the left is trying to find anything they can to destroy this because the lyrics are fantastic. It's talking about how life is in a small town and all this violence, you know. Um, some of the lyrics, let me read some of the lyrics of the song to you. Sucker punch someone on a sidewalk, carjack an old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. Yeah, I think it's cool. Well, act like a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't try that in a small town. It also goes on to talk about got a gun and that my granddad gave me. And all the, everybody thinks that because he was talking about this, he was making threats to the people that committed violence. And also his video has live footage. Not live. Well, I mean, the footage that was live at the time during the summer of 2020, you know, the summer of love and those over 500 riots that happened because of the George Floyd incident. and that burned down cities and many, many businesses, especially minor-owned businesses. They, 
They didn't care whose business it was. They just wanted to burn the city. And there are videos of moving vans pulling up and throwing out bricks and throwing out placards and throwing out protest signs. So to keep these riots going, they wanted them to create such an unrest as to make people uncomfortable. And he's talking about this in this song. He says, this stuff doesn't happen in small towns. They all take care of themselves. And so everybody says, well, it's racist and, and he's, he's threatening to shoot and all that. Well, guess what? If, if you tell someone, don't dare come into our town because we will defend ourselves by any means necessary, that's not a physical threat. That's not saying we're coming after you and we're going to shoot you. That's saying if you come into my house and try to break into my house or try to come into our town, we will defend it as we have every right to. And the Second Amendment gives everyone the right to bear arms. And later on in the song, it, it says, you know, got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. So he's basically saying the government has been threatening for a long time to get guns. And he's absolutely right, especially the people on the left. They want everyone to get rid of guns. Whenever there's a mass murder or, um, you know, violence uh, every single weekend in Chicago, by the way, they blame the gun. <laughs> they blame the inanimate object, not the people pulling the trigger. So that's what he's talking about. They want to come take the guns. This is not a song that threatens anything. This is a song that is a threat to the left and their agenda. And that is why they are attacking it full-throated. Also, keep in mind that Jason Aldean was actually performing in Las Vegas the night the shots rang out from the Mandalay Bay of the idiot that was shooting down into the crowd of country music goers. So he may be quite aware of all the insanity going on and basically just saying it doesn't happen in small towns. It only happens in the big cities. And that's because of the rules are so much different in big cities. They like no bail and, you know, uh, lowering penalties for federal crimes or uh, felonies down to misdemeanors. That, they don't do that in small towns. They throw your ass in jail. <laughs> so uh, that's what he was talking about in his song. Oh, and one thing that's fantastic is go watch all the reaction videos of this song, particularly people of color reacting to it and, and hearing everybody's reports about how racist it is. Almost unanimously, they're going, that's not racist. That's true, man. In, sm in small towns, they don't put up with that crap. So that's basically all this is about. Go listen to the song because it's absolutely amazing. I wish I could play a little bit of it, but I don't have the rights to it and, you know, copyright things. I hope I get big enough to where I can start doing intros and outros of famous rock songs. I am a huge fan of 70s and 80s rock like Boston and Kansas and Styx and Journey and, you know, all those bands back then, I think were some of the best bands ever, some of the best songs ever. And I would love to have intros and outros of, uh, you know, commercial breaks as soon as I start getting sponsors uh, that will play the songs that I love so much and will be able to like buy a batch of the rights to a certain amount of songs. So 
Uh, I know that's how it works in the radio industry. So I'm hoping uh, I get big enough that that happens because I really do love music. I don't know if I told you or not, but there was about 18 years of my life where I was a professional DJ. And I DJed in dance clubs for seven years and then as a, a mobile DJ for 11. And I had a great time. So um, I'll tell you more about that maybe later on uh, as I maybe talk about more in my life. But anyway, I just want you guys to understand there's a reason why the left is trying to ban this song. And it is the reason why you need to go buy this song and play it nonstop. It's got like 10 million views on YouTube now. And like I said, it's the number one song on iTunes. So let's keep it going. Like, you know, we have the power. We can make Sound of Freedom the top grossing movie of 2023. And we can make Try That in a Small Town by Jason Aldean the number one song of 2023. It's up to you. So go do it because the left is losing their minds. Oh, speaking of losing their minds, listen to the reaction to RFK Jr. testifying in, and you can't make this up, seriously, the U.S. Committee hearing on censorship. The Democrats in that meeting were trying to censor RFK Jr. Listen to his response to what they were doing. Many of my fellow Democrats, I've spent my life in this party. I've devoted my life to the values of this party. There's 102 people signed this. This itself is evidence of the problem that this hearing was convened to address. This is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. The, the, the charges in this, and, and by the way, censorship is antithetical to our party. It was, it was appalling to my father, to my uncle, to FDR, to Harry Truman, to Thomas Jefferson, as the chairman referred to. It is the basis for democracy. It sets us apart from all of the previous forms of government. We need to be able to talk. And, and the First Amendment was not written for easy speech. It was written for the speech that nobody likes you for. Exactly. 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 The freedom of speech, the First Amendment, was not written to protect speech that you all agree with. It is to protect speech from people that disagree with what you're saying. That is true freedom of speech. I've said that before. If you really want true freedom of speech, then you have to be willing to defend someone saying something that you abhorrently disagree with, with the same vigor as someone saying everything you agree with. That is true freedom of speech. And that is what sets this country aside from every other country in the world. You can go out on the corner and you can badmouth the president and the Congress and your local leaders, and you can tell that to the heavens, and you can burn a flag, you can burn a Bible, you can burn, you can. Be, you can take a, a, a copy of the Constitution and rip it in half. You have those rights in this country. That's called freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And it needs to be protected and it needs to be absolute, in my opinion. And you will not be arrested. In other countries, not so much. That's the point that RFK was trying to make, that we have to have freedom of speech. Now, 
Listen to the verbal gymnastics Democrats get into when they're questioned as to why they censored RFK Jr. during the censorship hearing. Well, I can't find the actual clips, but basically uh, Stacey Plaskett and uh, Debbie Washerman Schultz and others that tried to censor RFK during the censorship hearing said, well, we weren't, we weren't censoring. We were just preventing him from spreading dangerous rumors and uh, uh, incorrect and uh, misinformation, you know. And basically, you just kind of sit there going, um, that is censorship. You're censoring things that you disagree with. And remember what I said in, in a couple podcasts ago, I think honestly at this point, the difference between conspiracy theories and the truth is time. Because there were so many conspiracy theories three years ago about COVID and, and the lockdowns and masks and all that. And all of those have been proven true now and now are pretty much general knowledge. So I think we just need to wait a little time and these conspiracy theories that RFK has been talking about will be proven true. Proven true. But, you know, I don't agree with everything, RFK Jr. I like him. Uh, I think the kind of disruptive ticket that would make everyone lose their minds on both sides would be Trump. RFK Jr. That would be bizarre, but crazy because they're both disruptors. And uh, I think we need, we need major disruption in this country. I don't know, just something to think about. Uh, again, if you agree or disagree, write me, Drew at the watchdogsbark.com. All right, what honestly is happening in our military? We, we know what's happening in our schools, we know what's happening in our universities and colleges. We know what's happening in corporate America, and now it's happening in our military. So we, we can now tell the world that we are the most diverse military. We're, we're not going to actually say we're the deadliest, but we're the most diverse. You know, do, do you know any of the Chinese army or the Russian army that have transsexuals and gays and lesbians? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Now, our military is introducing a new bill to pay for abortions, including travel and food for female soldiers that get pregnant. And Lloyd Austin says it's all about readiness. I might be able to see that point. But then John Kirby said it's all about sacred privilege of, of reproductive care. Well, I have news for you guys. It's not reproductive care if there's no reproduction. <laughs> you're trying to end reproduction. You're ending the life of a baby and you're making it easier for people to make that decision. You're making it easier for people to choose to end a life. And that is wrong. But it's okay. You know, people, guys can, if they want, or, or women can, can join the military. And then if they want to transition to another sex, we, the taxpayers, will pay for their surgeries and the recovery time and all that. But remember, Lloyd Austin says it's all about readiness. I will say this another time. I think I've mentioned it before, but the only thing our military should be focusing on is creating the deadliest force in the world, period. It's all about unit cohesion. It's all about training as a group. If they are trained well enough, and I've heard this from 
people of color and white people, that if you are trained strong enough, it will not matter if you are in a foxhole with a racist if you're an African-American. Because brotherhood over racial differences. The real training that goes on in military is that cohesion, that unit cohesion, and that strong brotherhood that is so strong, it even supersedes family. Once you are trained so strongly, you will do anything to defend your brothers and sisters in your unit. And it doesn't matter what their skin color or what their sexuality or what their religion or anything like that. The only thing the military should ever be focusing on is making the military more deadly. Period. Defending our country against tyranny and our enemies. That is the only thing our military should be focusing on. Representative, Georgia State Representative Mesha Maynard, sorry, I called her Menard. Uh, Maynard is uh, one of the newest members of the GOP. She was a Democrat and she switched to be a GOP because she no longer agrees with what the Democrat Party stands for. And since she has switched, she says in the last 10 days since she abandoned her party affiliation, she's, her blood pressure has dropped to levels not seen since her college days at Howard University in the 90s. And she's taken to social media to talk about, you know, how she's been attacked. And many of the attacks uh, are and threatening messages call her the N-word, and they're not from Republicans. Most of the attacks are coming from people that are Democrats. Think about that. Democrats and People of color that are Democrats are attacking another person of color, calling them the N-word because they left the Democratic Party because the Democrat, they, they no longer aligned with the Democratic Party's beliefs and platforms. That, uh, to me, sounds like someone who thinks for themselves. And the Democratic Party does not like independent thought at all. Like I said, they're all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, unless it's diversity of thought, equity that doesn't give one race an advantage over the other, or inclusion, which will not include conservatives or Republicans. Yeah, but they're all about diversity, equity, inclusion. So my hat's off to um, Mesha Maynard. Welcome to the party. And uh, we expect big things. Because I think she's like the first African-American female in the Georgia State GOP, correct? I think. I'm look that. Yeah, yep, that's true. So I think that's fantastic. And I hope this is a trend. Uh, I think there was a New Jersey, gov uh, New Jersey uh, representative that left the party too. So, you know, people that are watching what's happening are seeing that the leadership and the far left, like the squad, is trying to take too much power from the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is no longer a liberal, clear-thinking party. The Democratic Party has given full access and power to the radical left, socialists, and communists. Of course, that's my opinion. And if you disagree or agree, you know what to do. Okay, why are Democrats against school choice? 
They claim to be the party that cares the most about the children and how they're raised and the unfairness of inner-city school kids not getting the same education as private schools and, you know, schools in the suburbs, that there's a less quality of education. Well, school choice basically means that each child is worth a certain amount of money. And whatever school gets that child gets that money. So school choice would allow parents to choose which school they wanted their children to go to. That, to me, seems like what's best for the children, especially minority children and inner-city kids that do not have the, the best quality education. If you look at the schools in the inner city and the schools in the suburbs, they're vastly different. They're, they're not in, in the inner city and, and uh, poorer neighborhoods. They're not kept as well. They don't have the, the, the good books and uh, textbooks. They don't have, you know, the high quality equipment and computers. They don't have the same education as the kids in the suburbs and in private schools. And if all kids are allowed to choose, them and their parents are allowed to choose which school they go to, that would fix a lot of these problems because then schools would be trying to improve their staff and curriculum and their school's appearance to attract more kids because the more kids that come to the school, the more money they get. I think what they say is each student's worth like $7,500 per semester or whatever. Let's have school choice. That's one way to fix education. One thing that I'm really disappointed in in our education, and, and it is antiquated, okay? This education system we have right now was created during the industrial area. Okay, and it was created to teach farm kids how to read instruction manuals to pull levers and push buttons in manufacturing plants. That's it. That's what education was. Okay, that's what the universities and uh, other school systems were created to do. Now, I think we are at a point now where we have so many tools that children can use to advance extremely quickly speed reading, uh, math by memory. You know, all these, all these courses that are out there that we should be utilizing from kindergarten. We should be utilizing from the very first time the child opens a textbook or starts learning about any particular subject. We should be letting them use all of these tools to advance as fast as possible to the ones that can. And the other ones, just make sure the tutors and are, are super educated and versed in all these new techniques and, and uh, you know, new tools available, I think we could improve the education system vastly in this country if we got rid of a lot of the idiotic curriculum and instituted school choice. So why are the Democrats against school choice? Because they want children uneducated. They want to dumb down the education system. They say that they're doing all this. They're taking away the SATs. They're, they're changing math where you don't have to show your work as much and where, you know, it, th things are a lot easier. And they're changing the grading system where there's no longer 
a requirement to read and write and understand math at a certain level when you graduate from high school. And they say they're doing this because of equity, because there's some kids that just can't keep up. And so it's not fair to them. Well, sometimes the reason why they're not keeping up is they're not studying. They're not doing homework. They're going out and playing with their friends or they're involved in gangs or they have other things that they're harder focused on and they're not studying. And sometimes there is developmental, uh, you know, uh, issues. But for the most part, again, instituting all of these tools will allow everyone to compete, I believe, at very similar levels. Okay, just a couple more quick things I want to talk about, and then I'll let you listen to this wonderful exchange between uh, Dana Carvey and David Spade when they were talking about uh, Anthony Fauci and his uh, need for numerous booster shots. It's hilarious. Okay, one thing, I don't know if you know or not, I, we, have, we have reason to celebrate. By, Joe Biden broke another record. Are you ready for this? Since 2023 started, there have already been 140 people on the terrorist watch list apprehended at our border. You remember last year, it was 98. Now we're talking fiscal years, which is like September to September or October to September. Uh, so we're, we're coming up to the end of fiscal year 2023 and 140 people on the terrorist watch list have been apprehended at the border. Just think about that. If 140 have appre apprehended, been apprehended, you have to assume at least that many haven't been. This is kind of an indicator to me that countries are now trying to sneak terrorist cells into the U.S. because we have no border security going on. And the last year of Donald Trump's presidency, there were three, three people, three on the terrorist watch list were app apprehended at the border. Now it's 140. Boy, they are doing wonders on the border right now with this administration, aren't they? All right, one thing that's driving me absolutely bananas, it honestly seems, and I know that this is kind of obvious, but it seems even more now that the LGBTQIA plus community is a social contagion. At Brown University, they say that 40%, that's right, four zero, almost half of their student body have declared themselves a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. They say they are not straight. They're either trans or gay or lesbian or whatever other uh, classifications there are in that community. That proves to me, number one, it's not possible, okay? Uh, now it definitely is a social contagion. Uh, there are so many children watching nonstop videos of people that are in that community, and they're watching their happy, fun videos, and everything's wonderful in their life, and they're, some of them are act, boys or men acting like little girls. You know who I'm talking about. And all the other people... And they're all saying how happy they are. And these poor kids who are in poor situations and just want things to be better in their life and they want to be happier. And they believe if they declare themselves a member of this community, they will be happier. 
It has nothing to do with their sexual orientation or a mental disorder called gender dysphoria. It's a social contagion now. And it doesn't help when the CDC now talks about chest feeders and menstruators. That's how they refer to people that breastfeed and have uteruses. Now, because they're assigning them to different things. Men have, can, can have uteruses and women can have penises and back and forth. Do they understand that they're actually endangering the lives of children by doing this? There, there are studies, and I've read really weird studies, sometimes I do that, about how men can take certain estrogen and, and you know, trigger something to where they can produce some breast milk or chest milk, if you want to say it that way. And they can chest feed babies. But they want you to believe that the women who are declaring themselves men are just chest feeders. Those aren't breasts. Those are their chest. And they are chest feeders. And the menstruators they are, you know, they're, they're women that can, they can declare themselves men. And yes, they still menstruate, but that doesn't mean they're a woman. No. What, are, are we at Sodom and Gomorrah yet? I think we're really close, aren't we? Uh, honestly, this is getting absolutely insane. In the future, birth certificates won't have their father's and mother's sex. It'll be partners or menstruators or... Uh, the pregnant person and the sperm donor, uh, there won't be anything. They won't, they won't know the sex of the child. Uh, it won't be on the birth certificate. It'll be due determined later. TBA, <laughs> to be determined, or TBL, to be determined later. Yeah. So th- it, what is happening? This is absolutely insane. And like I said, please go back to my second podcast what is happening in our schools and listen, actually do better than that. Go to YouTube and type in Yuri Bezmanov and listen to his, you can listen to the hour long speech. I did. It's fantastic. And this was in the eighties. He was talking about a multi-generational step to demoralize, desensitize and destroy the United States of America. And this plan is working brilliantly because we have entire generations of children that are, they do not trust their, their parents anymore. They're declaring themselves uh, different sexual identities to try and become more popular, not because they feel that way, just because they want to be a part of the group. Some of them are rebelling <clears throat> against society and their parents, uh, and that's why they're doing it. It is a social contagion. And it has to stop. It really does. Otherwise, entire generations are going to be completely ineffective members of society. All they will focus on is their sexual identity and have to tell everybody. And, and everybody needs to understand why they have, you know, different color hair every day and nose rings in, and all the, you know, all these things were rebellious, signs of rebellion. You know, when we were younger, pierced ears and long hair and eye makeup and all these different things. Now it's a social contagion 
because social media has made it fun, exciting, and they are lying to children saying, this will make you happier. Oh, and don't tell your parents because they won't understand. Your parents are bigots. Your parents are, sec- are, uh, are, are homophobic. Your parents are racist. You can't trust your parents. You can only trust us, the school administrators and your teachers who care more about you than your parents who birthed you and raised you and changed your diapers and went through colds with you and repaired your knee when you, when you skinned it falling off your bike. They're, they don't care about you. The ones that fed you three meals a day every day and helped you with your homework every day and sat with you when your pet died and cried with you when you buried that pet. No, those people don't care about you. Only we care about you. So don't tell your parents about your new identity. We'll get everything done. We'll stop your puberty with puberty blockers and we'll schedule surgery without your parents' permission. We don't need your parents' permission. This is all insane. And lastly, I will say this, it's all for money. The gender dysphoria and gender transformation industry is a billion dollar industry. And I, will, I can give you countless stories of children that transitioned at the suggestion of their teachers and medical professionals without telling their parents. And then their parents found out and they couldn't do anything because they were already changed. But later on, 10, 15 years, they regret what they did. And then when they want to transition back to their original sex, those same caring, understanding institutions, education, and medical ignore them and doesn't, do not care about transitioning back. They have no interest in that. They don't care if children regret it. They don't care how many children commit suicide. It's all about money and power, period. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. Now, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young decide for himself. He'll grab it the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. Amen, Sheriff. Amen. All right. Real quick, before I give you the three last points uh, or last things to do to give up to be happy, I want to let you listen to this exchange between Dana Carvey and David Spade. It's hilarious. And Dana Carvey's impersonation of a certain individual that talked about vaccinations is brilliant. Listen. I miss COVID. I know. Dude, you know what I knew? There was trouble <laughs> when anyone that came to our country didn't have to get a vaccine. And I go, mm-hmm. if you're telling me I can't go to work, but everyone everyone coming in doesn't have to get one, I go, well, once we found out, when Fauci said, 
Okay, I'm sorry. If you've had two boosters and two vaccines, you can get and give COVID to another guy who's had five vaccines and four boosters. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between a vaccine or a booster? I don't know. It's just more vaccine, but booster sounds better. Anyway, a guy with 25 vaccines would get and give COVID to another guy with 25 <laughs> vaccines. That's why I'm introducing the daily COVID shot. Every day you get a shot. By the time you get to your car, you got no immunity. But it's a beautiful 39 seconds. <laughs> so brilliant and so true. Like, can we joke about this now? Is it, can, is it finally time that we can talk about how insane everything was during the pandemic? The plexiglass, the six feet, the masks, the many boosters. It was all non-effective. Completely non-effective. And and when you do Anthony Fauci, you know, you have to do a little bit gravel and you have to do the New Jersey accent a little bit. I really like Dana Carvey on that one. That was perfect. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. And as I always like to do, let me end on a positive note. Okay. In last episode, we talked about how the last three things, give up labels, give up on your fears and give up your excuses. In this one, I want to talk about the last three of the 15. Number one is give up the past. Oh, I know. It's hard. I know. It really is. Uh, I even have a hard time with it, especially when the past looks so much better than the present, especially where we're at right now. Uh, you know, but give up on the past. First of all, you are not your past. Your mistakes are over. But also think about this. The past you are now longing for, the past you are dreaming about, was ignored by you when it was the present. Stop deluding yourself. Be present in everything you do and enjoy life today. After all, life is a journey, not a destination. Have a clear vision for the future. Prepare yourself. Always be present in the now and stop dwelling in the past. That's one thing you need to give up. The other thing to give up, the number two for today is give up attachment. Now I know this, this is kind of harder to grasp, but, but go with me on this. Okay. You need to detach yourself from all things. That doesn't mean give up your love for them. Love and attachment are two very different things. Okay. Uh, they have nothing to do with each other. Love, real love, is pure, kind, and selfless. But attachment comes from a place of fear. Okay? There can't exist love and fear in the same place. So because of that attachment, love can never really be there present. When you are unattached to things that you love, but you, know, you still love them, but you're not, you don't desperately need them, You'll get to a place so peaceful, so tolerant, so kind and serene. You'll be able to understand a lot of things without even trying. Almost a state beyond words. So that's, I know it's a harder thing to grasp, but if you think about it, separate love and attachment and give up your attachment to things that you can't let go. You know, things that, that you have to have in your life. Don't think that way. Because have to is desperation out of fear. Okay, the same thing as jealousy. When someone is jealous, 
they are showing their own insecurity. So when people ask me, oh, you're jealous, I said, no, I'm, I'm not insecure and I'm not afraid. You know, so that it's people use these words and they don't really understand what it means. So give up the attachment to things to where you cling to them. You have to have them in your life. Let go of it all. And I promise it's going to be a lot more peaceful. And then the last one, and I think this is probably the one most important. Give up living your life to other people's expectations. Way too many people are living a life that's not theirs. How many people do you know are lawyers because their parents told them to be lawyers? How many people are doctors because their parents were doctors and it's the family business? How many people are running the family business that are miserable, but it's the family business? They were expected to take over the family business. Now, some people are lawyers because their parents were lawyers because they want to be lawyers. Same thing with doctors, same thing with the family business. But it's a different thing when you're living for someone else's expectation. They live their lives according to what others think is best for them. They live their lives according to what their parents think is best to them, like I said, uh, to what their friends or enemies or teachers or government or media thinks is best for them. Remember, the media loves to tell you what's best for you. And our politicians love to tell you what's best for you. And the people that live for other people's expectations ignore their inner voice, that inner calling. They're so busy trying to please everybody and living up to other people's expectations that they lose control of their own lives. They forget what makes them happy, what they want, what they need. And eventually they forget about themselves. You have one life to live, this one right now, and you must live it to the fullest extent. I love the expression where someone says, you know, I want to, I don't want to go peacefully uh, into the other world. I want to slide on the ground, bruised and broken and slide into my grave, screaming and yelling, "Woo! what a ride. Because <laughs> we only have one life to live and I have news for you. Nobody gets out of this life alive. So Live your life to the fullest. All right, just a quick review of the 15 things that you should give up to be happy. Number one, give up your need to always be right. Number two, give up your need for control. Number three, give up on blame. Number four, give up your self-defeating self-talk. Number five, give up your limiting beliefs. Number six, give up your complaining. Number seven, give up the luxury of criticism. Number eight, give up your need to impress others. Give up your resistance to change is number nine. Number 10, give up labels. Stop labeling people. 11, give up on your fears. 12, give up on your excuses. And the past three, or the three in this podcast, give up on the past, number 13. Number 14, give up attachment to things based on fear, not love. And number 15, give up living your life to others' expectations. Let me give you a, a, an analogy. When you're driving a car, the windshield is where you see the clearest and the largest, widest vision. The windshield. How do you look at what's behind you? A small little rearview mirror or side view mirrors. They're, all, they're very small, very small 
rear view and side view mirrors. That's the way you should live your life. Always focus on what's ahead. Occasionally check the rear view and side view mirrors for possible distractions or dangers, but do not focus on them. Otherwise you'll crash the car. Stay focused. Only look through the windshield. And I promise you, your life will be much more fulfilling. And on that, that's the end of another podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, create an amazing day. And please relay the bars.